Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and Creative Control. I have for many years. I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years. They're good friends. Uh, but the truth is, he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with Uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, as though he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Jean Neon is a multidisciplinary musician and composer based in Montreal, Quebec. Working under the name Joni Void, Neon has made a name for himself as a conveyor of sampling, field recordings, and found sounds, which they orchestrate into textured, alluring, and occasionally even surreal songs and soundscapes. On May 26, 2023, Constellation Records presented Every Day is the Song, their third such release with the prolific Neon, and so Jean and I connected for a talk about things like their origins in France, 
and interest in film studies. How open remix projects by the likes of Nine Inch Nails and Radiohead first piqued their interest in recontextualizing sounds and songs. How they use primitive and current technology to capture and conjure sounds, authenticity, verite, and mediated culture, and interest in Tom Waits, and also distorting John Lennon and the Beatles. Learning from bots on Twitter, making new music, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. This is the primary source of good, honest revenue that I get for uh, the podcast that I make. So if you're interested in contributing to that, please do at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you so much. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with uh, bricks and mortar locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly personnel who will happily greet you as you uh, come into the store and help you if you need anything. But also, uh, you can go online to their website, blackbird.ca, and order things like the new Joni Void record, Every Day is the Song. It's just that simple. Go to blackbird.ca for more information. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 788 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Jean Neon of Joni Void, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Jean. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thanks for asking. It's uh, nice to uh, speak with you. I don't believe we've ever encountered one another before. No, this is our first uh, introduction. Yes, it's nice to uh, have you on the show. Thank you for making time for me. Where in the world are you today? I'm in Montreal, Quebec, at home. Uh, lovely. How are things going uh, in Montreal for you uh, today, this week? What's 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 going on over it's, there? It's uh, pretty eventful. We have uh, the Suoni Peril Popolo Festival um, happening all of June. So I have my show for it that I'm co-presenting with my own uh, event platform every day I go. Uh, and I'm performing with Sarah Page as Pajvid. So I am going to meet her later and rehearse our set. So... Yeah, preparing myself for our first show, and then I have another one on July 7th, which is the album launch of this uh, new album, Every Day is the Song, and it's also my 30th birthday party, and then four days after that I'm heading to Japan, so yeah, uh, and in May I became a permanent resident, so yeah, it's pretty eventful, lots of things happening, but in general positive. (laughs) Well, congratulations. That's amazing. There's a lots to celebrate there. You say you just became a permanent resident in May. Where are you from originally? I'm from France originally, from the north of France. But you know, it's been 10 years. I live in Montreal, so it's my home. Uh, I spent four years as a student, and then uh, one year was kind of, I guess, well, a bit of a sabbatical by choice, but then also trying to apply for work permits, and that didn't work. And it was like, okay, let's do permanent residency. I applied for that in 2019. 
and I spent uh, three years, six months, and 15 days of pandemic of waiting just to get any update or anything whatsoever about this card. But here we are. It's finally arrived after all this time. Yes. Well, yes, it has been a tumultuous time. Sorry, uh, you came to Montreal for school, I gather. Is that yes, what you said? Uh, yes, I arrived uh, late 2012. So 2013 was more my first year. But uh, yeah, I did film studies at the uh, Université de Montréal. Oh, cool. Film studies. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I I assume, you know, would it be wrong to assume you, you pursued music or uh, have you it had any sort of... It was the intention at first, but I, I basically... I uh, well, I was look, aiming at a Concordia, but I was looking at the more traditional programs, which require more, you know, compositional instrumental performances. I was unaware of a certain program called electroacoustics that would have been a bit more fitting for me. So yeah, I think in my mentality, I was like, oh well, you know, what I'm really interested in is editing. Even you know, video editing was still one of my interests. So I figured, yeah, it's if I joined film studies, it could kind of help with a. Uh, doing music and soundtracks and uh, sound editing for films. Oh, okay. Well, interesting. So, sorry, did you kind of fall into film? Were you, like, into film as a kid? Like, it's, as a young person? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I watched... I was a big fan of Michel Gondry. I was, uh, like, the store. I was watching films at the time, but I wasn't... No, I'm not... don't consider myself a film buff. I mean, I... I, I, it's more the theory world I have a problem with basically yeah, like talking and writing about films I like to just experience them and uh, so yeah it, the, the film studies wasn't my initial choice it wasn't like oh I'm made for this but it felt like a logical one and it's always that that it comes back to with my music that I feel like the way I make music is through a sound edit- editing approach more than a compositional instrumental um, approach so it, it sort of made sense but it was also yeah a bit of a I just finished high school and I need to do something after and so I needed to do university it wasn't really the most uh, inspired choice I'm not I'm not a big fan of academia basically I'll put it I see okay so d- so so did you have any formal training in music I or did not. no no it's not this that. is where I'm kind of like oh the editing approach is like really just started a uh, self-taught and basically more through a remixing approach uh, at first, of kind of like samples and chopping up things. And, but then, yeah, I started more like composition, like having piano and writing my own lines in my track. So the more traditional music stuff came uh, after. But no, I just started basically at 14 because I, I realized you can make music on a computer. And so it started from there. Yeah. So, exactly, what do you suppose? If any, was there any artist or or, or uh, any I don't know uh, experience you had that drew you to that notion of collage and, and editing as a artistic expression? Well, the the more formal one, the more the just like that's logically where it started. Uh, Nine Inch Nails basically had this uh, website remixnin.com where they just mm-hmm. gave away multi tracks to their songs. You could just join the like the website and download all these multi-tracks that you could open on GarageBand and Logic. And that's, yeah, really what initiated me making tracks. It was like, oh, wow, I you know I can just download this song and then make a version without the drums or just rearrange stuff, like, chop, like have this vocal line repeat. So I sort of learned music software just through these, like, Radiohead also at the time did a remix contest. So multi-tracks, and then I had friends who were doing mashups. So that, you know, was kind of like, oh, you try and find... Uh, a certain like 
melody line, you get the loop and then you try and add a drum break to it and just have... So, mm. but then I think clearly, speaking of remixes, I feel like also, yes, I was a big fan of uh, Radiohead and Nine Inch Nails and they had a lot of remixes. And through Radiohead, well, more like Tom York, I discovered Burial and Fortet. And those mm-hmm. are clearly two early influences on um, like most of the ways I make so-called electronic music could be uh, related to them. The more collage, like sample aspect, I feel it kind of came later with um, the books. So yeah, mm-hmm. if I really have to state like early influences, the really like my way of making music I, I owe to these artists. It's artists like yeah, Burial Fortet, uh, the books, Colleen. So yeah. Yeah. So given what you know now and your experiences as a remix artist, as someone who builds uh, these sonic landscapes, what do you suppose possessed bands like Radiohead and Nine Inch Nails to offer this opportunity to their fans and to musicians to be like, hey, here's all our stuff. Go nuts. Just just have a go at it. Try to create something. Do you have any perspective on why they thought that would be a good idea rather i mean on some level it's fan engagement it's musician engagement but, but i feel like it's also s- the glory days of the internet <laughs> like it wasn't you know it hadn't been completely taken over by corporations and facebook and it's just this like creative overload of it's like oh like you know these platforms where you can just upload like sounds and just share music with people and yeah, Radiohead were clearly experimenting they kind of were the first to test the well i don't know if they're the first but on record, like kind of giving away a a record for free when you're on that level of a success. So you know it's kind of this experimental, like oh, you know, let's try this, let's give this stuff. Even like Nine Inch Nails, it was a whole like oh, I produce Soul Williams. You can like either get the album for free or you can like pay this much. And so yeah, there was these experiments because it's still I feel like this playground that it wasn't completely like taken over by I don't know copyright infringement and. You know, mm-hmm. streaming platforms and all these like labels and corporations owning everything. So, yeah, it's the glory days of the internet, and it's clearly like I owe it, like I owe it to that that I make music. It was never like something that I wanted to make music. It's just like wow, you can have GarageBand on a computer that just you have basically a music studio on a random formal like computer that most people have in their homes. And yeah, there's these artists that just, all these, you know, things online that just like, you can download these sounds, you can download sample packs, you can just create and upload it online, have a SoundCloud account and share with people. And I just, you know, fell naturally in that with, just because it was fun and creative and somehow it just became my whole life. Yeah. Well, it, it seems to me that maybe they're, they're inkling anyway. Who's to say? They're not here. I can't ask them. <laughs> Your interpretation of it, yeah. Well, but perhaps there's something to the fact that they kind of thought, well, music isn't any one thing. Uh, by, by giving people uh, the freedom to do whatever they want with our uh, stems or whatever, uh, they can, we, can, we can sort of demonstrate this. Like whatever someone's creative impulse is, that's... That's sort of something that's worth mm. that, that can be worth exploring. I feel like there's a bit of that aesthetic in the work you've done of like music isn't any one thing. Mm. Uh, sound isn't any one thing. It can be all sorts of things. Does that resonate with you? No, of course. It's I always want to refer to you know the fact that I don't know it's sort of meta like music about music that it's 
this is a sound form like this is a sound wave that I'm like sliding into my project and doing things with so but then that sound wave is also something I recorded personally on a Walkman so yeah definitely I try to put in the press release the tangible and intangible <laughs> forms of music yeah. that is these ways that just music escapes us uh, the, the, no it's such a bizarre we, we can't see it uh, the, but we can witness it. like it's not physically apparent but then also just it's so omnipresent in our lives mm-hmm. and yeah it's just a it's a funny way for the art form to reflect on even in cinema you know how much how much sound is present but it's not like an actor or like cinematography that you see it you have to experience it in real time and yeah so yeah i get your point yeah i mean even you know both artists mentioned clearly even before they did these experiments they had a lot of remixes on their own like singles or like album compilations so it's clearly they were already interested in like okay you make a song but then you get another artist to have these parts of the song you made and to make something completely new and yeah i was definitely like it was it really surprised me how much I had these like remixes where it's like, oh, you really need the original and the remix together because the remix is incredible, but you need to listen to the original to know where the source comes from and what they're actually yeah. manipulating and kind of rearranging in the, this new remix. So yeah, there's definitely like already this culture of like, this is what I make, but there's always this source, there's always a sample or this like, it's a remix of this or it's a film recording of this or it's a set that this experience or this moment or event that's ingrained in my own music. Yeah. You know, you invoked the internet earlier as maybe, you know, something that those two artists and yourself maybe were interested in exploring, like the outer limits. What's possible with this new thing? And I also think those two artists and yourself um, seem to have an interest in how technology intersects with expression. Um, Computers, robots, a, a, a field recorder, a tape recorder, um, these are all things that we use to uh, capture and and create things, um, but they also have their own uh, kind of influence on the way something ends up sounding, you know. Mm. So if you take a digital, well, I guess what I'm getting at is, say you're on a bus or you're in a crowd uh, and you want to capture that ambiance. Well, if you had a, 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 a tape recorder, like from, you know, an analog tape recorder and you recorded that sound and you had a digital you know, whatever. Uh, in my day, it would have been a mini disc player or something. And you put microphones up. Uh, when you listen back to both those things, they would sound different. Mm. Uh, they would actually sound, the fidelity would be different. And I remember uh, when I was in high school, that's when Nine Inch Nails kind of really broke through. And I think those of us who were into heavier rock music but hadn't yet dug into whatever industrial music was were kind of mystified by that band because they clearly were using drum machines and and synthetic uh, sounds to create rock music, which at the time, uh, again, as you do do a deeper dive into where that music maybe came from or what influenced him, uh, Trent Reznor, you would see like, oh, he, he's drawing from other people who are trying to use technology in an edgier way, uh, I suppose. And I think Radiohead did that too. And I think you do that too. So I guess where I'm coming from is... Uh, how do you um, view the relationship between what you're using to create what you're uh, what you end up making, and the actual soul of it? If I may, I know that sounds a bit whatever reductive, but 
you know what I'm getting at there? Like you're using all this gear to make your stuff, and that's obvious to me. Um, but do you think it's also just by using it? Are you commenting on the technology itself? You know, the, the way you sort of suggest that maybe that's what um, those two artists were doing in the glory days of the internet or the early days of the internet. Like, what's possible? Do you think you're doing that on some level when you get a new piece of gear and you go out into the world or you try to capture some expression? Uh, in the case of this album and the uh, tape experiment, uh, if I have to honestly say it's a no, it wasn't really a, a preconceived idea and more just a formal practical aspect that basically, you know, a Zoom recorder, if you try to switch it on, it takes a little while, it's like loading, and most of the time what happens is the sound I'm trying to capture has already passed by. Uh, yeah. It's just, yeah, it, this random Walkman that I just bought at the beginning of 2020, the, it was like, oh, wow, you can just record straight to it and yes as you said there's this whole definitely an aspect of this walkman is that wow you get this it's magnetic tape so it's already like a record it's not data it's like pure sound waves recording straight to magnetic tape but then it's just this aspect that it's like i can just press record straight away and then stop and you know there's no loading there's no processing files and I think that was mostly where the sudden, like, oh my god, I'm just gonna bring it with me everywhere and just see what it picks up. Because that also, the, definitely the way it picks up sound is sort of this, like, compressed, like, once it gets something, it's really apparent, but then more ambient sounds kind of get lost. But also, it's it's really interesting sometimes, actually, what comes out of it. I guess also the batteries, if you, like, don't have... The batteries are low, then the fidelity of the recording is, like, less. But then that gives experiments. So, yeah, it wasn't really, like, oh, you know, I need to experiment with tape, and this is my moment. But that was kind of the... A bit the irony, also, of making this album, is that I've always been associated to, you know, bedroom artists and, like, lo-fi tape, kind of those scenes... Uh, that a lot of my friends and a lot of artists I, I really am inspired and uh, collaborate with are really about the tape format, but it actually hasn't been part of my music except for sampling maybe, you know, Daniel Johnson or stuff like that who we caught to tape. But mm -hmm. this was my first time really like playing with this format and uh, even being able to play all these tapes that I've been given for years, like, at shows, and, uh, you know, I bought myself, but I didn't actually have anything to play them on, so, no, definitely in the case of this album, uh, the whole, um, experiencing life through tape and this montage was not the intention at first, it just somehow came into my life and just, I just kept recording and songs came together from that, and, uh, uh, added to then also, I, I was definitely kind of going through my own music library and listening to a lot of vinyls and tapes and so mm -hmm. collecting samples and yeah, those two scenes kind of just came together to make uh, whatever this album is. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I I can appreciate that, and I hope I wasn't too heavy-handed in the question, but I'll try. No, to I understand where you're getting at, but definitely, yeah, yeah it, it, you know, maybe mise en abîme. There was a bit more of an intention of like, oh, did, you know, I want to get different technologies and very referential about that aspect but no on this new one uh, yeah the tape was totally this uh yeah accident basically 
Yeah, like, and I appreciate what you're talking about in terms of the the, the way of capturing the sound mm. of what you're going to using technology. Well, what about technology and sort of in general? Are you fascinated by robots? We are as we're speaking. There's uh, already debates bubbling up about AI. Uh, what does it mean? What is it going to do? Chat GPT, all these sort of automated ideas. I mean, I asked this question for a few different reasons. One, because when I listen to your music, I can feel a little bit like I that's why I asked that long question. It's like I feel a little bit of technology in what you're doing, obviously, um, in terms of how you're manipulating things and, and how you generate your music, I suppose. But what about the actual title of this album, Every Day is the Song? Where does that come from? So the title comes from Twitter. <laughs> it comes from a Twitter bot. A bot. Yeah, a bot. A bot. It's yeah. this uh, account called Strawberry Letter 723. Uh, I, I don't know, some like other random person I was following was like, this is my favorite bot, and I ended up on it. And yeah, from what I gathered, someone who just made a bot that takes his own tweets, his personal ones, but then just rearranges them, and it gets these like super bizarre results. But some of the lines sometimes I'm like, wow, this is actually super po- poetic. Right. So, yeah, and that's it. This line came up uh, on May 5th of all days that said, every day is a song, and it just it really stuck with me. And I was like, that's such a good song title. So <laughs> so, so that's, a bot. that's a bot. And then you also, I believe, had your own venture called Every Day Ago. Where did that come from? Every Day Ago is also Twitter-related and translation-related. It's my friend Kazuki Koga. Uh, one night we're just having fun translating his twitter that's all in japanese uh into english and mm-hmm. just looking at the bizarre broken results that came out of it and there was one tweet he was uh talking about how he was hearing his neighbors uh argue and it made him really depressed every day that he was hearing that and the translation it was like i am being sad every day ago and right. Like, Whoa. right <laughs> every right. day ago like it just there is like this is it's past and future like it's you have all well you have all the days but it's like that have been past so yeah i just once again this result that stuck with me uh relating to technology (laughs) (laughs) i i hope i haven't asked too leading a question but you do seem to be interested in what these what robots can make on some level what the what the machines can create on their own with your, or rather, sorry, in almost a collaborative way, I suppose, with humans. This is interesting. It's, it's actually, I kind of appreciate you because it's kicking my ass right now. Just like, I, I want to, no, my instinct is I want to be like, no, I'm a punk and no, like, fuck AI and fuck this. And like, <laughs> but then I think deeply about it. I'm like, no, this key. obviously, if you listen to my music, yeah, there's an element. I think what I'm interested in is just, creative tools which technology is part of and this is it i'm really interested in you know translating like you go on a translator you put your lyrics you translate them into like 30 languages back and forth and you use whatever result you get at the end which for me you Mm -hmm. know that's like same creative practice of doing cut-ups of like oh you you write lyrics and then you cut up the words and then you mix them around in a bowl and you take whatever it's technology is involved but like 
this is it. Even with this whole AI debate and all that, what I mostly say to people is like, the only thing I care about AI is the funny videos that come out of it. And just <laughs> like, that's creative. It's not, you know, not stealing material and all that. It's just, it's like Donald Trump playing a video game and it's like his voice. And it's really funny because it's so fitting. Yeah. That's more the stuff I'm interested in. They're like, oh, like the really deep, like, what is this going to like, do for humanity and the theory and academia yeah my brain just switches off when it becomes like too theory based so i think that's it i'm like i'm a kid so you know it's like if the video game is fun or something like that then yeah yeah. i get obsessed with it you know even on my album it's funny uh another technology thing i reference uh in the title track which i'm like i don't know how many people will get that this is a video game reference there's a track called vortex any percent speed one Mm-hmm. Which is a reference to video game speed ones, which is, you know, even video game for me is a funny aspect. It's like, well, I play games, like I have a Switch and there's a few games that I've like played obsessively and have like plenty of hours. But then, you know, there's this whole other video game culture, people who like speed run games and they like, they know the game so well that they try to finish it as fast as they can. And it's these like yeah. communities and competitions. And I can't, my mind can't process getting that good at a game that you can just run through it as, like and you're competing with other people who are beating you for like t- two seconds the, the split second gets before you yeah you know it, it's stuff like that where like i like video games so then actually understanding what goes into them like the way if you're a gamer now the way you understand games is like such on another level so so yeah, I I don't know if that's a to your question, but yeah, no, no, I see I see it in my son who plays uh, pretty advanced for me anyway. They seem like pretty advanced video games, and they're quite mm-hmm. interactive. And you have to build things. I guess what I'm getting at is, for the better part of the last forty years, um, we have been engaging with technology since the popularization of the the home computer and whatnot. And then the logical conclusion is certainly throughout most of this century. We have been kind of algorithmically controlled. Uh, we have been using platforms uh, that are ostensibly robots and sort of show us what they want to show us based on our habits and whatnot. So when I listen to your music, I am reminded of that kind of bizarre technological and industrial landscape that we're in. Does that make like it feels like we are very machine oriented? And the way your album hums and hisses, it, it takes me back to the sort of summer jobs I've had in uh, factories or plants or things like that. Just that that strange kind of ambience, if you will, where it's like hissing and, uh, you know, just, just like a feeling, like a pulsating almost feeling. So I guess what I'm saying is your record kind of reminds me of this, but it also feels in line with the sort of dystopian science fiction about the future that we encounter sometimes. So I feel like you are both in the present and the future, uh, the same way uh, every day ago, for example, is in the present and the pa- I guess the past. Anyway, it's very confusing temporarily. Um, <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is you seem to be an artist who is in some sort of bizarre temporal intersection of where we're at with how we interact with technology. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's not really that I'm trying to be like, oh, you know, we doom technologies everywhere. But I definitely, for me, it's important to just acknowledge 
the presence of technology in your life and just you know it's like you know people who criticize like oh films now where they show people on their smartphones or stuff like that or it's like why wouldn't you show that it's part of our lives now it's like a crucial like everyone has it there's not like oh well you can only show the cool old phones from the past now it's like yeah i definitely do like being in between times is definitely an aspect of my music and i feel even me as a person because you know i'm about to turn 30 this year so i'm born in 93 and it's just it's such i i'm i'm very how to say fascinated with my generation of how we're like well we're kind of the one generation that you know i'm i don't know if it's like millennial zoomers or whatever i'm talking like this yeah 10 year range kind of like 90 90 to like 98 Mm -hmm. i was Mm -hmm. like we lived when there was the before internet and the after internet, the kind of like yes, internet just absolutely. completely taking yeah. over our lives. And I'm definitely, I'm a product of that, of kind of just this unlimited access to internet that it's just like, oh, well, you know, I got really into lo-fi music and that was with tape, but then also this like, I don't know, more electronic, like Japanese noise and your Ryuji Kida or something like that. It's all this like static and glitch and... So for me, there's just, oh, there's all these mediums you can make sound with, and some of them are these really, like, old-school, like, technologies and samplers and drum machines and all that, and then you have the more, like, wow, you can do this on a computer, and you can get these crazy, like, results by, like, using plugins, or... So, there's a few the kind of, yeah, in-between, like, you know, tape, this is it, the, the what you are mentioning of, like, oh, it just the tape texture for you takes you back to like, well, this was the medium you would record everyday life on. And now it's like phones. But then I'm like using, you know, the recordings in the album are from 2020. It's not like old, but still that for you, it has this like, oh, it feels like the past. Whereas for me, it's kind of the opposite where it's like, well, for me, this Walkman recording is new technically. And for me, there's like, you know, there's a whole generation of kids now that if they listen to my album, probably the tape texture doesn't mean anything to them because it's not a medium they really experience. So it's just lo-fi kind of hissing and all that for them must be like, whoa, what is this? Well, some might assume that you're taking a clean recording and, and making it messy and It's true that then that's it. There's a whole generation of kids who also, they, they want the vinyl and tape texture, but they added like artificially. I definitely did that as Johnny Ripper. As Johnny Ripper, I would even... Uh, because I didn't have a real piano, but I was really obsessed with this, like, detuned, uh, like, old, creaky, like, piano sound that, you know, I was hearing from, like, Tom Waits and John Bryan and other artists I was really influenced by. So I would literally just go and, like, get recordings of people playing piano and just try and get the, like, ambient sounds and the creakings and not the notes and just add that to my, like, piano lines because I couldn't record on a old creaky piano myself uh, but I wanted that sound now obviously yeah. I know so many studios where I could go and like play on a creaky piano and I wouldn't need to like artificially add that uh, texture so uh, so I don't know where I'm going with this but yeah that's it well, no, that's it I feel like yeah it comes down to like the imperfections of technology basically and it's like oh when you use that medium you used to have this or like you could get this whistle but like you know if you're interested in glitch it's like oh well how can you like mess up a scow can you circuit bend a toy to then get these like sounds and so i feel like yeah, yeah. that's really the approach i have that it involves technology but it doesn't entirely rely on technology so it's like how creative practices how can you get 
an interesting texture out of this, how like when you get this accident, you get this result and just that's where I, you know, feel like in technology is interesting. I'm not really interested in this whole like are we gonna become robots or robots gonna take over like AI? It's just just use it as a tool to keep making creative shit, basically. Like that's how I see it. Yeah. I'm just looking at this bio that I was sent about the new album, and I just want to read a sentence out to you before I ask uh, another question. Uh, it says here, Songs are constructed from audio recordings made all over, and often while literally on the move, walking, cycling, and skateboarding around the city, in bus and train stations, from car windows. So that suggests to me that you are interested in uh, verite, capture of some kind mm-hmm. you know just whatever's going on you were just, we were just talking about the way um you cited a few artists who uh when they present their works for lack of a better term it can sound a little creaky it can sound uh, a little junk shoppy you know mm-hmm. tom tom waits has been quite famous for this you know like he'll there's clearly you know stemming from captain beefheart and whatnot and and, and maybe field recordings by blues artists uh, as well, I mean, trying to capture, sorry, trying to present music in a kind of creaky or uh, makeshift manner, but in a purposeful way, I suppose, is what he's doing. What do you suppose for you is the connection between verite uh, recording and also sending it out into the world to sound a little scrappy, if you will? Can you talk about those two things? Because like I said, Depending on the gear you have, you could do that kind of field recording. It can sound really, really high fidelity, um, but you've chosen to do to not use such gear in every case. I think is what I'm getting at when you talk about using a Walkman that you bought at a record shop. It says here. So, sorry, can you talk about that? The the conflation of both uh, verite. So whatever is going to happen when I'm out on my skateboard. There's something interesting about that to me that I want to turn into music or uh, send out into the world. But then also, uh, it's going to sound a little distorted or fucked up on some level. What's the connection between, um, I guess I'm getting at authenticity. Why does it everything in your world tend to be so hyper-authentic on some level, but also sound a little strange? Oof, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I want to point out already, uh, my cat just did a cameo, nothing, you just heard that. Oh, I can't see your cat. Yeah. Oh, so, hi, uh, there we go. We got some, got some cat verite happening, exactly. I guess, is what's going on. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, was that too, was that too convoluted a question? No, 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 uh, it's great. Uh, I, I, I love both. Uh, it's just, yeah, they're, they're separate for me. So Tom Waits, uh, I definitely want to point out, uh, yeah, it really got me. I was a huge, Tom Waits fan when I was living in France before I moved to Montreal and mm-hmm. then basically moving to Montreal I completely stopped listening to his music not intentionally uh, just you know kind of just moved on and listened to other things and I actually recently a friend of mine took me to a, a tribute show of his and he's like oh you know I know that you really like are a, a fan of Tom Waits but then I was like oh I, I need to kind of re-listen to his music and get back into it uh, before I see this tribute show Mm-hmm. But I was almost like, oh, you know, it's been 10 years or so, like, will I still appreciate his music? And I actually was surprised. And one aspect that really got me, basically, this time, kind of having more musical knowledge than what I had 10 years ago, was how beautifully composed his songs are. Like, just the composition and the way, like, the instrumentation, arrangements, orchestration... 
is so beautiful, but then he makes it ugly intentionally mm -hmm. and that's what makes it work and that was kind of my issue at the tribute show is that people were like doing the songs but in a beautiful way and like oh i'm singing with my beautiful voice and everything's played like super on time mm -hmm. and it really made me realize like wow yeah the greatest aspect of tom ways is he will write beautiful songs and make them ugly intentionally and just have them played like yeah it's a drunk in a bar who's like mm -hmm. messing up this song but it's like that's the way you play that song. It's made to be played like that. It's not made to be played proper. And so, yeah, I've always had a problem with Tom Waits cover because I'm like, you're not getting the character aspect. that's so crucial. Yeah. How it relates to Verite. So there's kind of two aspects about that whole uh, uh, in motion element. Let's see if I can reattach it to the little Tom Waits tangent. Uh, but the, the <laughs> definitely documentary it has been a, a very, uh, uh, it, it, I definitely feel like I shit a lot on film studies, but the one class I'm like, oh, that was, I needed that. It really changed like my way of processing consciousness and reality and like film was the documentary class because you know, before that class, if you would have asked me about documentary, I would have said, oh, Michael Moore or something. I would have been very basic. And uh, sure. just having that class that just explains that, like, no, it's all these like directors, you know, like Chris Marker, who was like a big influence for me. Like the moment I switch on the camera, this is not reality anymore. I'm, it's framed. I'm editing it. You know, I'm choosing what I want to show. You can't show it as like objective reality. It's like from the moment you're making this film, it's subjective decisions and subjective engagement that makes these films happen. And so the whole documentary aspect of like, well, I want to have this concept, but I don't know what's going to happen out of it. And I'm just there to capture what I can. But then there's this whole subjective process that comes from like, well, then how do I represent it? How from like capturing all this material do I edit it in a way that makes sense and takes form? But definitely the kind of having always on the move uh, aspect uh, in the album was also really inspired by the fact that making music on a computer, you're like static most of the time. You're just, you know, yeah. so much dance music is made by people actually sitting down in a studio. Yeah. So definitely with this album, I was interested in motion and like time and speed and because already with the samples, like, well, you know, it's samples in 45 RPM, suddenly turned into 33, which is like, it's the same sample, but just with a different setting on the turntable. Mm -hmm. So that's it. There was then this aspect with the Walkman that's like, I'm physically on the move with this. Literally, the name is a Walkman, and I'm a man walking with it. And yeah, I just really wanted to have this aspect in the album that it just felt like, transportation basically that oh you're in a train suddenly and then you're on a bike and then you're just walking and then this car just drives past you and then in the next sample you're actually in the car so yeah there's definitely there's definitely a documentary aspect uh about well, the album it, yeah and i think where i'm landing with what we're discussing is that it occurs to me that uh, no matter how something is captured so sonically or visually if it's captured by a piece of gear then that moment is not that real anymore mm. it is mediate it is mediated mm. it is it is not real so even if so what i'm getting at is whether you're using a walkman uh and an analog tape to capture something um or something like a zoom recorder or like a, a clean a cleaner digital interface when you play it back either way 
it's sort of real, but not. Mm. It is. <laughs> so I feel like swimming and everything you were just saying is like, yeah, real. This was a record and it was meant to be played at 33 RPM and I've distorted it by altering its speed to 45 or vice versa. I mean, that's kind of where we're at with everything that we use. When I look at my record collection to my to my uh, left here, this is all mediated reality. And I think maybe maybe this has been true for a long, long time. Uh, but for some reason, your record and your music just has sparked these thoughts in me more. As I think about the way you practice and how you practice, I'm like, wait a minute, almost nothing is real. I just paraphrased John Lennon there, and I'm going to ask you about John Lennon in a moment. Uh, because because he uh, appears uh, in his Beatles incarnation on your record, but... Is that maybe uh, nothing is real? Is that is that is that a phrase that resonates with you in terms of your own practice? I know that's a heavy thing to lay on someone, but I, I'm landing on that here, and I'm I feel like that might be a good way of capturing what you've created. It is real, but also is it is anything real? Like that's maybe where I'm coming from with your aesthetic, particularly on this record. Does that make sense on any level? It's funny that phrase, I feel like I would probably associate more to Johnny Ripper, actually. It was more like the whole psychedelic, like, wow, well, life is a dream, and, you know, it's just nothing of this is real, and the, the whole episode laugh of... It's from it's from Strawberry, just so people who don't know the Beatles, it's from the song <laughs> <laughs> Strawberry Fields Forever, and... Uh, it's it's uh, that's a composition by John Lennon and the Beatles, but he says nothing is real because, you know, that was the hazy drug induced stupor he was in at the time. But yeah, I don't know why. I feel like your your way of making verite music, but also uh, manipulating it, makes me feel like it is a decent catch all on some level. No, that's, Sorry, I don't that's, mean to be that's reductive. That's really interesting but. because you know, for me, I. It, uh, that, as I say, I kind of feel like the a bit like the opposite of like, <laughs> like the Johnny Whipper was the escape. It was really the like oh the, the world of dreams and kind of this like like circus of reality. Um, whereas like obviously the new like Johnny Void material is more like no, this is my subjective experience, but it's my subjective experience from the moment I capture it. It's like escaped me and now it's yours. So that's it. Mm. The fact that you like relate to it on that level well it makes sense because it's like that's your subjective experience of my music yeah but, sure yeah 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 there's still that's it there's still the i think for me one experience i, I really wanted to to come across basically with this album something that's really getting to me during pandemic was all the discourse about music about like spotify streaming what artists should be doing like how they should create music uh, like all these like discussions online that just felt like it was going nowhere and that I just had a hard time even like following or processing because I'm someone that streaming is I I said it in another (laughs) podcast interview I had recently where he asked me like how I was listening to music in an everyday basis and I'm like yeah I feel like I listen to music no on vinyl on tape on CD I go to shows I know also Mm -hmm. I just enjoy hearing sounds the streaming is the only i don't have a spotify account i don't have apple music i don't i don't yeah. engage with streaming at all and it's not to be banksy or anything but it's like this is just not a way that makes sense for the way i consume music and how i make sure. music from music so yeah so that's it i feel like with this album what i was really to 
trying to come across. It's just like sound is omnipresent. Is there? You no, know, I walk outside and there's like a car passing by with like this music that's blasting out of it, and yeah, I get this like Doppler effect from it, and that's super nice. I like hearing that. That's music, but I can't have that on Spotify. I can't be like, oh, play those Doppler effect car that just went past me. Yeah. I I I that resonates with me. I mean, I listen on vinyl primarily uh, these days, but I also listen a lot uh, via yeah my telephone and the computer just because sometimes it's easier, and that's how I'm sent music uh, in advance of a conversation or something. Um, sometimes I wonder what I will do if I ever stop, you know, doing this kind of work uh, mm. where I'm not getting uh, an album, you know, a month before it comes out. And then if I like it, then I will buy it myself, you know, like what that pattern might change at some point. But mm. um, yeah, anyway, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, and I, <laughs> I don't mean to uh, question what you're doing exactly. No, 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 but, the, um, the questions are pertinent, but yeah, it's yeah. making me, you know, kind of double down on like, oh no, why I made this album. And yeah, it's definitely uh it's something that, you know, I haven't really had the chance to discuss, but definitely a big aspect of that album was just like, yeah, looking at all this discourse online and be like, who cares? Like, people just have such a different way and experience yeah. of music yeah. and sound. And, you know, even I feel like, because obviously most of my friends are artists and musicians and all that. And so when you talk about Spotify... It obviously, you know, it's like, oh, people should do this. People, And it, sometimes I need to explain to them to be like, they're not as passionate as music that we are. Like some people just want it as a background thing to just have a mood when they're at home. And that's fine. It's like no one's saying that, you know, the problem is not how people consume it. It's the platform itself and like how they're not like being fair. But anyway, that's a whole kind of wants to get into. Well, but that, that was I, kind of the point of, you know, yeah. there's like all this like talk about like, how music should be now and you know how ai is gonna replace this and all that and i'm like there's a bunch of people out there who are still listening to their tapes who are completely disengaged with all of this and their experience of sound and music is valid or it's just yeah that kind of just definitely verite aspect of like it's whatever you say or whatever you think about music and sound it's just it's it's just oozing into our lives in ways that we don't have control of well, I think everything happens so fast now that I think we don't remember the we, we don't I, I guess ponder the fact that every single technological advancement, uh, particularly when it comes to the commodification of culture, uh, leads people to be suspicious, afraid, or angry. So, if you think on it, when the records first emerged, this was the capture of performances that people used to go see in person. Mm. Now, obviously, we weren't around then, but I guarantee you people are like, this is going to ruin music. Mm. This is going to ruin culture. You are, you are commodifying and capturing a thing that is meant to be experienced in person. Then, eventually, hey, you can, um, you know, buy tapes. We've Not only is there vinyl, there's cassettes. I'm sure there was an outcry. Well, this is going to ruin culture. These aren't as good as records. CDs come along. Hey, sonically, they probably sound better. No, not as good as records, not as good as tapes. Now we're at streaming. Hey, that's not as good <laughs> as physical media. What are we doing? I think we just get in these cycles of, of where technolo technology advances, back to the robots that started our conversation, right? Because mm. I think we are, we are always mingling with new technologies 
and how they affect our consumption and, and how they impact commodification. Because if I go back to my previous example, I'm sure that when vinyl records were introduced on the market and, and, and people were told, hey, you can actually buy the music you love and take it home with you and listen to it anytime you want, I'm sure live performers are like, what the fuck? My bread and butter is performing these songs in front of audiences, and now you're telling me that anyone can just do it at the at their own convenience. It's a very weird thing, man. I feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like everything that we do is meant to create a bit of convenience and create saleable products, but there's always an outcry about every single advancement. So we're in the thick of it right now in a bizarre cross section temporarily where people like you and me are like vinyl records, the same things people were talking about a hundred years ago. Uh, this this thing is clearly going to outlive us all in terms of technology. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that vinyl records are going to outlast everything else. But right now, we're in this weird thing where everything, the vinyl record, the CD, now cassettes are back, have been for some time, and streaming, and it just creates this fraction, like these fractions of like no one knows what to actually consume and how because everyone's doing like as a as a record label i don't even know where you'd begin do we invest which technology can we invest in can we afford to invest in every single medium do we really need to be doing that it's very confusing sorry that was a tangent no Just no but then a perspective that really helped me i, I remember I, I wish i could actually quote who this person was i need to go back in time and find this article but yeah it was like an article that was going into like streaming is really no one so the whole spotify controversy and then there's just this person at the end who's like like i'm not really bothered like it wasn't a positive or negative take it was just like just take into perspective that like it hasn't even been a hundred years that yeah music is on physical media there's like yeah. what like shellac records i guess appeared in the yeah, yeah. 20s 30s yeah. and it's like there was you know, thousands of years of music being everywhere and being so important and crucial. But yeah, you had to see the performance. You had to witness it in person or like just, yeah, the physical media is new. So, you know, there's obviously, you know, with vinyl, there's a whole like, I'm like, will it really outlast everything? It is, you know, it is pollution. It is like PVC, you know, it is a format that I'm like, it doesn't really make sense that... But then, you know, I can't be like, oh, well, then everything's digital. Yeah, digital is, is, is the way to go now. There's also, well, no, there's obviously a very crucial aspect that music needs to be physical. But then, so, yeah, he, he, but this is like, getting back to, like, what the, the album is about, it kind of gets to this point of, like, who cares? Even if there's no, even, say, tomorrow, like, vinyl disappears, like, some wizard just did a spell and there's no more. There's still ways to experience music. And I think... I, I agree. This is it. I, I, the, 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 yeah. the album is about uh, like is if the world is spinning, the sound and the the world is a vinyl itself. That it's like as long as it's spinning, there's and we're on it. There's just like sound emanated from it. Yeah. So I think that's it. That that, that was the intention of this album. Like yeah, when you start <laughs> going into these rabbit holes of like considering like all the which you know it's it's important. It's also for musicians. It's a uh, you know professional way of life it's like some of us make a living out of it so no it, you know it's really important to talk about these things and try and yeah. aim for like better alternatives and all that but i think at, at its core every day is the song it's just about like 
it's just there's music all the time there's sound all the time it's as long as you're living every day you're gonna hear sound well unless you're deaf but even like deaf people still experience sound in a way that yeah we don't experience yeah. so yeah still valid yeah. for those who haven't seen it yet the track listing of every day is the song by Joni Void includes song titles like tape uh, world is spinning at 33 rpm uh, and a song called disposable that I alluded to uh, earlier in a way um, because I believe is that the song that I was referencing that includes uh, an interpolation of the Beatles song Julia is that the one yep yeah, I want to ask you about that because I want to follow up on what I was saying earlier. Um, this struck me. I will I will confess to you that I was uh, trying to do my uh, uh, every other day exercises. Every other day I exercise. I try to exercise, and sometimes I stick to it. And I was uh, sometimes I listen to music that's really you know beat oriented or hip hop, you know, just to keep my pace up or whatever. In this case, I'm like, I'm going to listen to Joni Void's album, Every Day is the Song, and see what that's like to work out to. Interesting choice. It was an interesting choice for me, but it also, sometimes when you're in uh, that mode, I find I can actually concentrate on what someone's saying or playing. Okay. Um, I've had revelations doing it where I'm like, oh, I missed that. So then I'm listening to that song, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's a phrase there that I... I, I heard because your voice is very distorted generally when it that's your voice right nope the singing oh it's not your voice nope no okay whose voice is that this is May May that's where the cover comes from that's kind of my little uh, he 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 like uh, with sample clearing is that the, the cover is this Chinese artist May May it's a ah. series of free tapes where it's basically Beatles covers for guitar feedback and voice nice okay so th- that one in particular stuck out to me because of the uh, interpretation, like the, the lyrics that are chosen, uh, either by you or by Mei Mei. Tell me a little bit about that. Why did that those phrases from that song um, speak to you, and why did they make it onto that particular song, Disposable? So this is the interesting story. Uh, it's my friend Julia, Julia Dick, who actually posted the original, well, the Mei Mei album, and the... Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. And I almost uh, instantly bought the tape. And I was like, obviously, I'm you know, going to sample this. Uh, this is such an interesting, like, just the voice and the feedback and these, like, kind of broken guitar chords. It's basically, it's a cover, but aside from the lyrics, there's nothing that is like the actual Beatles original it's covering. So, yeah, I, I received the tape and I started working on this track and sampling this cover of Julia. Uh, what mm-hmm. I didn't think about is that I have covered Julia as Johnny Whipper. Uh, it's on my album Still Images and Other Dreams. Uh, my second album as Johnny Whipper in 2012 and my friend uh, George, Pauline, uh, was singing on it. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a reference also to Johnny Whipper. And the first song, Tape, is actually a beat from Johnny Ripper that I, I made in 2015. I never found a place for it. And that mm-hmm. samples these guys called the Tape Beatles. So I'm oh. like, there's these two like Johnny Ripper-related tracks that then 
reference the Beatles, and I literally said earlier, now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, nothing is real, that phrase of John Lennon actually resonates more with John, Johnny Ripper, and here we are, I'm like, yeah, those two Beatles references <laughs> in the album are related to Johnny Ripper, so, yeah, it's sort of a meta-referential um, choice, and also just, I, I wanted to mess with people a bit, because they, I, I knew people would think, well, no, actually, you know, this is it, you're the third person who thinks it's me singing on it, which is really interesting. Because hmm. it's not. So I just thought people would think I'm sampling the original by the, the Beatles and I'm just doing this super weird uh, uh, treatment no. of it. But no, it's uh, it's Maymate, which uh, is released on this uh, label called Zoom In Night. So I definitely okay. recommend uh, anyone who wants the most unexpected Beatles covers ever to check out Maymay's free tapes of Beatles covers. It's really haunting on your record, so I want to check out the source material for sure. Um, you've evoked uh, Johnny Ripper a few times, and I kept meaning to ask you for my audience to maybe explain the distinction between Johnny Ripper and, and Joni Void. Um, is that possible for you to do that? Of course, of course. Johnny Ripper is uh, how I started music, basically. That was my, <laughs> to bring back full circle, that was my username on the Nine Inch Nails forum. Uh, ah. And it's it's actually uh, it's a song by the Blood Brothers, which is a band that sounds nothing at all like I've ever made musically. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and that's it. I was just starting to make music at the time with these like remixes and just learning to use GarageBand, and I just used my forum username Johnny Ripper as a moniker, and just figured I would change it whenever I was more serious about music. And so I did, I guess, six years of that. Like, yep. Yeah, first album came out 2011 so I, I i kind of already had songs before that but i really feel like that album uh, soundtrack for a film that doesn't exist my debut is really like that's the beginning of johnny whipper uh but then yeah i moved to montreal i do my film studies and then i live in this uh, diy loft called the plant i start performing live which is something i never intended to do as johnny whipper i was really um kind of like, oh, this is computer music and I don't want people thinking I'm going to play piano on stage because that's not what I do. Uh, so that was another aspect of Johnny Ripper I forgot to mention. is very soundtrack-influenced. Uh, There's definitely some straight-up influences that you can hear throughout the music. Uh, Jan Tiersen, John Bryan, Philip Glass. It's kind of very this piano, lo-fi sound, but then with this more, like, I guess, beats and sometimes more uh, electronic influence sometimes more hip-hop but then yeah i yeah moved to the plant started performing live a lot getting involved in these kind of like live music scenes and then somehow learned that a label named constellation records were interested in potentially releasing my music huh. so yeah around then it's a lot of things also Johnny Ripper, because of this like soundtrack aspect, I started feeling really pigeonholed that people were always expecting these kind of like cute piano songs and I was obviously interested in experimenting more with sound. So it just came to a point where it was like, okay, my, my sound is changing, my life also is very different from being this kind of like, I don't know, introverted bedroom producer that now I'm like actually involved with like live performances. So yeah, it kind of came to a point where I'm just like, oh, I'm working on this new album uh, that became selfless, and it's like, this is, this doesn't feel like Johnny Ripper anymore. This is definitely uh, yeah. So it just made sense. So like with this new album and the signing with the label and everything that was going on at the time to change my name to Johnny Void, which uh, I see. Well, listen, I I I find you to be a very fascinating person, fascinating artist, and I, I just want to say I. 
I appreciate this insight into you and your work and, and this wonderful album. Uh, you alluded earlier to some things that were coming up for you. It sounds like it's going to be a very busy summer uh, for you, but is there anything else that you want to mention in terms of future plans that uh, you'd like people to know about? Uh, I guess I can point out that I pretty much already have the sequel <laughs> finished. <laughs> well, not finished, but it's yeah, the 80% uh, done. Oh, so. cool. Because, yeah, this, this, the, the thing about Every Day as a Song is that it's really my time capsule of 2020 and 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. I was going to self-release it on tape. Originally. This is kind of the irony I love telling people is that the intention for that album was to be a self-release tape. And then in 2022, I was like, oh, you know, maybe it makes more sense to release it with Consolation. So now the album exists on vinyl and CD, but not tape. <laughs> right. So, right. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> that's it. But then even in 2022, because I was confirming this album with Constellation and, you know, the, the time to put everything in place and have the release date, I, I was already starting to work on this new album that uh, is, is much more song-based, much more like beats centric it's less uh it's, you know there's not as much like oh i'm using like tape recordings everywhere um but it's still very much about like motion and uh these yeah kind of overlapping sounds it's kind of more like personal field recording jam things over than manipulated samples and all that but it's much more yeah kind of i don't know animated and colorful and very oh, cool. uh, song so yeah uh so uh, I don't want to reveal the title. I was like, I, I kind of wanted to, but I'm like, it's still subject to change. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, that's in the works and plenty of other projects. Uh, I there's basically never a month when I'm not like working on something. No, that's well, that's fantastic. And I assume uh, one place people can go to learn more about you and your work is, uh, I believe, CSTRecords.com, the Constellation site. Is there anywhere else people can go uh, to learn more about uh, Johnny Void? I have my own Instagram and I have my own Bandcamp. Uh, well, two Bandcamps, actually. I have Every Day Go, which is kind of my platform label, which is has collaborations or not on Constellation. Uh, but then, yeah, there's my own page, johnnyvoid.bandcamp.com, and then... Johnny Void on Instagram also, that works. Okay, now do you pronounce it Joni or Johnny? Joni. J-O-N-I. Joni, yeah, like Joni Mitchell? Okay, yeah. I just want to make sure I got this right. I don't want to mispronounce. It looks like Joni. It's yeah. Joni. It's, uh, <laughs> the, 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 well, the story is uh, I was going to go with John Void at first, but then everybody thought it was a reference to John Void, and I absolutely didn't. Oh, right. That. So then yeah, I was like, oh, that. do I do J- J- Johnny Void, you know, kind of, but then it's like, oh, that's too much like Johnny Ripper again. And yeah. uh, I have my friend, uh, Johnny Sadler, uh, yes. who rest in peace, yeah. uh, beloved friend who, uh, yeah, I just randomly asked her if she would find it weird that I just have J-O-N-I as a new moniker. And no, she's totally into it. And she was like, it's fine. And uh, surprisingly, I ended up being the secretary of Constellation, I think, two years after that. So it's kind of funny, yeah. this confusion of like, well, there's a Johnny the artist and Johnny the um, secretary, the PR person. Yeah, I, I knew Joni uh, as well. So I we, we all miss her very much. Mm. And uh, I appreciate that it became an inadvertent tribute to her, uh, the naming of your uh, project. So that's cool. Okay, well, listen, I appreciate all of the information you've provided us and some insights. I hope it wasn't too convoluted from my end of things. I know there were some big 
ideas and topics. Uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my rambling. <laughs> <laughs> my, I, likewise, I hope you enjoyed mine. Uh, I want to go out on a song, if possible, from this release for people to uh, hear. And if that is possible, can you choose one for us and, and maybe talk about why why it came to mind? Oof, one from the album. Um, hmm. post credit scene, I feel like it encapsulates a bit everything about the album. It's... Uh, just you know, there's a beat, there's Walkman recordings, and the the mood yeah. is a bit more uplifting. That's probably the one that I'm like, it's, yeah, a good single. So and also, it's is... the point of that song is kind of referring to there's gonna be more after this album. It's a post credit scene, which usually that implies that a sequel is coming. I was gonna ask about this. So it's the final song on this album. Uh, does it seem to you to be uh, a harbinger of what you're working on right now for the follow-up? Uh, maybe in the sense that, yeah, it's a, it's a nice hip-hop beat with a nice bass line. Yeah, that, that's kind of what the second album is about also. Well, let's hear it now. This is post credit scene from Every Day is the Song by Joni Void. Uh, Jean, this was a, a pleasure for me, as I say. I hope you enjoyed it, and, oh, uh, and uh, I, hope, I hope we speak again soon, and, and best of luck in the future. Anytime.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ah, nice conversation there with Jean. That was fun. Thank you again to Jean for being on this show to talk about Joni Void. For those of you listening and aren't Jean, because I thank Jean specifically. Thank you for listening to this, the 788th episode of Creative Control. Can you believe it? They never told me I'd get past 785. Those fools. Here we are at 788. Goddamn thing won't stop. Yeah, 788th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you can't find uh, one of those 788 episodes, or I guess you're already at... You know what I mean. The other 787. Can't find one of them. You're looking for it. And you don't know where it is. Your your podcast service is like, no, we only go back so far. We can't keep up with Vish and his prolific podcast. Something's wrong with that guy. First of all, that's a lot of extraneous information from your podcast platform. I don't see why it's disparaging me in particular. I've done nothing to it. If you can't find an episode of the show that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com you can currently like creative control on facebook or follow the show on twitter at vish creative uh, or you can follow me directly on twitter at vishkana and um, i'm on uh, instagram as well at vishkana and i'm on uh, blue sky and threads I, f- I feel like every time i do one of these outros there's a new social media thing that i seem to be on i don't know what to say but i'm on all those things generally as Vishkano, so try to find me there. Uh, most importantly for me, if you can go to patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to support this donor-driven podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. $6 American or more a month grants you access to uh, exclusive stuff. You get the episodes earlier than everybody else. I put bonus material up in there. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. So thank you. Also thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer, Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and order records directly from this website of theirs, blackbird.ca. Also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Go visit those places and tell them I sent you. Just to say it, I don't think you get a discount or anything. I haven't figured that part out. Anyway, just go and support those places. Also, thanks to Jim Guthrie for letting me use uh, music of his on the show. 
You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. Guarantee you that guy's not giving you a discount if you mention my name. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Jean. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you consider subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends all about it. And maybe they'll learn something about me and the show that they like. And they'll help spread the word about it, too. So thank you for all those things. I must leave you now, but I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.